0: This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Women at Work on Business Radio. Here is your host, Laura Zarro. Welcome to Women at Work and our ongoing conversation about how to get more women to join, stay, succeed, and lead in the workplace. I'm your host, Laura Zarrow, Executive Director of Wharton People Analytics, for today's show on mobilizing a movement, especially as we approach the one-year anniversary of what was the largest single-day protest in U.S. history. Prompted by our collective rage and fear and enabled by an extraordinary constellation of grassroots efforts worldwide, um, the day marks when over 5 million voices turned into the chorus of a movement in a single day. A year later, hashtag MeToo emerged, followed by Time's Up, which has now raised over $16.6 million for the Time's Up Legal Defense Fund. The president of EMILY's List reports that in the last 12 months, the number of women contacting them about running for office or help others run for office has grown 2,200%. Yes, 2,200 percent from 1,000 people in the 10 months preceding the 2016 election to 22,000 in the 12 months that followed. The movement is clearly mobilized, which creates a new context for the anniversary marches that are planned around the country for this Saturday. So in order to help us understand more about these extraordinary grassroots efforts and the issues that are driving them, we're going to have three guests today. First, we're going to hear from Emily Cooper-Morris, co-lead organizer of this year's Philadelphia March and one of her co- organizer, trans activist and advocate Deja Lynn Alvarez. Then in our second half hour, we'll explore the relationship between these public marches and public policy with the help of Carol Tracy, Executive Director of the Women's Law Project. Our phones are open, as always, and we really love to hear from you. Whether it's your reaction to the marches last year, what you're planning for the march this year, um, or if you have questions for our guests, you can reach us at one 844 Wharton That's one 844 942 866. And call and tell us, are you marching? And if so, why? Um, Our first guest today is Emily Cooper-Moore. She's the co-lead organizer of this year's March and founding board member of Philly Women Rally. Um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about her. During the day, Emily works on supply chain logistics for a large local chemical company. At night, she studies business administration at Villanova University. And in her spare time, as if there's any that's left, given that she has three children, she studies business administration. She um, founded and was lead organizer of the Women's March on Philadelphia in 2017, which was attended by over 50,000 people. She's a founding board member of, of Philly Women Rally, the nonprofit that hosted the march, and like I said, has an active family of growing children. So given all that, we couldn't be more grateful that she's made time for us today. So with that, let me say welcome to Women at Work, Emily. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Oh, we're thrilled. So, given that you're one of the core organizers, what's the goal of the march for you?
1: Um, So, this year, the goal of the march is for people to come out, um, you know, in a peaceful manner. And to uh, kind of, the theme of our march this year is resist, persist, and rise. And the reason why we chose those three words um, is because we wanted to hearken back to, you know, the origin of the the first year of marches, which is the resistance, um, and the re, you know the many different ways in which we resisted and why we resisted, um, and then our persistence throughout the year, whether it was you know calling our calling our representatives five times a day, having postcard parties, writing to our representatives, um, and forming indivisible groups, um, which a lot of people have done, and. Um, And just all the various ways that we've persisted throughout the year. And then the rise portion covers everything from, you know, continuing to educate ourselves about the the issues that um, are relevant to um, us all politically, but also running, you know, encouraging women to run for office and be more engaged and involved in the voting process.
0: It's such a wonderfully cogent message that seems to really build on Um, all that's happened in the last year. What was the process of getting to it?
1: Um, Believe it or not, it was just the eight of us on a, we meet every Wednesday on um, a Google Hangout. It's um, some of us are on video, some of us are on the phone. um, And it was just a brainstorming session and, you know, things that, you know, in our first meeting, we said we need to come up with a theme Um, And we just created a group document of theme ideas and we all contributed to it. And then the following week, we, um, you know, we kind of hammered down the points that we really wanted to hit and messages that we really wanted to hit. And then that's where we came up with the words that we came up with. It It, was truly a team effort. You really can't credit a single one of them.
0: It's really great. So you mentioned that there are eight of you. Talk to me about who's making the Philly March happen.
1: So um, there's myself. Um, I founded the March last year um, and was lead organizer last year. Um, this year, uh, my co-lead organizer is Beth Finn. She is the only person I knew on the entire team before um the march happened um my husband had actually worked with Beth for a a little over a decade um and that's how we met and we became friends over the years um we have Amy Martin who um handles all of our merchandising um and a lot of our social media we have um I'm trying to think of everyone <laughs> off the top of my head. Sorry, Laura R. Blasters and Grilly, um, and she does a lot of—I mean, she contributes throughout the entire process. And then she is the program programming queen. Um, we have Ali um, Archer and uh, and Nikki Bagby who handle um, public relations and media and communications. Um, as well as, you know, contacts and things like that. Salima Susswell, who is herself, um, a, a very experienced organizer. She's also the CEO of her own company, um, and is on the Governor's Commission for Women. And we have Deja, um, Alrez, who is on the phone with us, who is, um, a local trans rights activist and educator and a member of the trans community. And, um, And is a very experienced activist within the Philly, um, you know, within the Philly area and brings um, a lot to the table that some of us that especially don't live within Philadelphia um, have access to um, or experience
0: with. So So it sounds like you've built a truly diverse team of women. We've tried. (laughs) How have you made... Um, Because one of the things that we all face whenever we start a project, build a team, um, whether it's at work or in this kind of grassroots organizing, is we get um, the people together. So you've got the diversity in the room. How are you making it inclusive? How are you making sure you hear everybody's voice and honor the differences between you?
1: Um, We do it, honestly, we do it almost every day. And we don't always agree on the team. We all come from different backgrounds, different ethnicities um and have different priorities sometimes, but we talk it out. Um, sometimes, especially because we work on an extremely condensed timeline. Things can you know, emotions can run high, but we step back and revisit and we talk things out. Um, you know, we had to do it today even. So but <laughs> we at the end of the day we're all here for the same reason and we all believe in each other and we all believe in the mission of this movement. And so that's what's really important
0: to us. It's really amazing. One of the things that always strikes me is, how do you begin at the very beginning? You know, I remember being in art school with this compelling question, what's the right first mark to make on the paper? And the answer was just make a mark, just start. But with a march like this on a condensed timeline, how did you go from, I think we should have a march as a kind of satellite activity to the march in Washington, to having 50,000 people show up on the parkway? What was the first thing you did?
1: So the first thing I did was um, I saw the event page for the Women's March on Washington go up um, in, a, in 24 hours or less than, the, you know, after it went up. Because I have friends all along. I've grown up in this area my entire life, and I have friends all along the eastern seaboard. Um, and, and where did you saw, see
0: it go up? On social media?
1: Yeah, on Facebook. Okay. Sorry. It was a Facebook event page, and um, I thought, oh, I really need to go to this. I, I feel like I need to go to this. And then, you know, I, I looked for a few hours, and um, I saw a lot of people, especially in our area, say, oh, I would love to go to this, but I can't because... Um, you know, for various reasons, uh, whether it's a disability, um, whether it's they have children that they want to bring with them. Um, and I thought, oh, I wonder, that's a good point. I wonder if there's a sister march in Philadelphia. And so I looked and I couldn't find one. And I thought, well, let me just create a Facebook event page for one and see if there's any interest in this area. And if there is, I can just pass it off to someone else because I have absolutely no experience doing this. Um, you know, you've already explained what I do for a living. And um, and so um, I created the Facebook event page and it just kind of blew up and I just asked for help and help came. So um, I didn't know how to file a permit. I went down, I looked up the address for the Philadelphia Parks and Rec Department and I literally just drove down on a day that I had off work. And I, they, I, I, they weren't even open yet. I sat outside in the parking lot for an hour and a half drinking coffee waiting for them to open. <laughs> and then I just said, I want to file a permit for this this March. And and they were really kind. And, um, you know, City Parks and Rec at dug it, City Parks and Rec. And then, um, you know, Giselle Jones and um, Robert Allen in the Office of Special Events, because it was because it is a large event and and the projected attendance um you know dictated that we work with the office of special events everyone walked us through the entire process and really ha- were super helpful so um, it's that's actually the biggest piece of advice is don't ever be afraid to do something because there will be people that will help you figure it out.
0: It's also really noteworthy to see that there were two surprising tools in this. Well, one was the power of Facebook to ignite a community and get them involved. But it's also the way that city government actually worked with you and supported you in this process. Yeah. And it's at what point in the process did you feel like you needed to reach out and recruit other members to help you organize, or did they just emerge?
1: Both. Um, I knew that I needed. I knew. I knew that I needed admins to help me with the event page right away. Um, And that's how I met Amy Martin. She was the very first person to join the team. And she had reached out to me saying, I'm really interested in this. She and her mother really wanted to go to D.C., but they both have MS. And so they were thrilled that a Philadelphia option had become available. And um, she really wanted to help me. So we met in a coffee shop and we talked about, you know, some of our ideals and some of our ideas. Um, because we wanted to create something that was unique to Philadelphia. And then, um, Beth being my friend approached me and, and she had to, she had thought about it for a few days. She worked tirelessly on the Hillary campaign. And so I gave her her space and did not want to ask her. I wanted her like the decision to be hers. I didn't want her to feel pressured. And she approached me, um, same thing with Allie. Allie had reached out to me. Laura was put in contact with me through, you know, a mutual acquaintance. And it just kind of all built in an oddly organic fashion.
0: But what's really interesting, it, it shows the power of networks and the yeah. networks that you had cultivated throughout your personal and professional lives, not to mention the social network of loose ties that can come from social media to really activate a community. Yes. Absolutely. So I was there last year. And so, A, I want to say thank you. I was one of those people who could not make it to D.C. I desperately wanted to bring my daughter. I went with her and her best friend, and it was electrifying. I was proud to be there. I was proud of Philadelphia. I was grateful to you and everyone who organized it. I was also impressed. Um, There were big screens. It was organized. The police were cooperative. That doesn't happen for free. How did you figure out how to make a budget for it and how to fund it?
1: Um, well, so um, Beth and I did uh, a lot of that. We all as a team worked on it. Beth has um, organization experience. Um, she is an, a nearly 14-year brain tumor survivor and oh my God. is on the board for the Race for Hope. And um, the Race for Hope is now held, which benefits the National Brain Tumor Society, they now have it at the Navy Yard, but it used to be on the on the Parkway. Mm-hmm. It is not as large as as the Women's March. However, she has some experience and knows about budgeting and things like that. And so we just kind of built a budget. We reached out to contacts that she knew that you know vendors that she used with the Race for Hope, and we got quotes and um, we all just picked items that we needed like. We had a master list of like porta potties, tents, um, you know, sound, <laughs> stage, et cetera. And it was a lot easier last year, too, because um, not to say that, you know, like I don't want to in any way seem ungrateful, but people were willing to donate to the cause. Mm -hmm. Um, a lot more like we, you know, our, um, our staging company who we're using again this year, um, donated the stage and everything 100% for free. It was, it was such a lifesaver and, um, they're offering it at an insanely discounted rate this year, as well as our light and sound production and all of that. Um, same thing with the porta potties and we negotiated for terms. Um, like asking if we could maybe do 50% down and, and then do net 30, things like that. Um, and so that really helped us along the way. And then, um, we really just did a lot of grassroots fundraising. We held a number of in person fundraisers with the team, you know, whether it was part of the team or all the team showing up. Um, and we had a website that you could make donations to. We had all sorts of incentives. We had a, merchant, a merchandise fundraiser. And there was even a point where I said, like, if we sell X number of pieces of merchandise um, by midnight on Wednesday, I'll get the uh, Venus Liberty Bell tattooed on my wrist.
0: And, Are you tattooed now? I
1: did. Yes, I did. There's pictures of it on on our Instagram and everything, uh, I stuck to my word, and it helped. It, I mean, we like we more than exceeded that that total. So, and that was just an idea I had from something my father did from fundraising when I was a kid. So, offering if we earned X amount of dollars, he would shave his head. So, <laughs> it was just like it popped into my head, and and so. Yeah, just little ideas and and a lot of brainstorming that it it really
0: helps. So it sounds like you brought all of your professional skills and also your personal passion and investment together to make this happen. Yes, we all did. So before I bring Deja on, because I want to talk about some other dimensions of the march with her, um, a couple of questions. How did you evaluate the success of the march? What And as you're going into the march this year, um, what will mean success for you? And what are you watching as signs of things to learn, presuming there's a next time?
1: So my biggest thing is, is that um, what the way I measure success, the success success of the March last year um, is the feedback that I received from people that attended. Um, I I can tell you that time after time I have received the same exact feedback that you just offered and thank you for that. and, um, the fact that people showed up because we didn't know what to expect. I mean, we were on the parkway at 5 a.m. that day and we were scared. We didn't know what was going to happen. So, <laughs> you were
0: throwing a hell of a party. Was anybody going to come? Yeah,
1: exactly. So every, you know, you kind of turn into that nine-year-old girl, like, is anyone going to come to my birthday? So, um, yeah. And, um, so the biggest thing is, is that so many people reached out and said how important it was to them, how moving it was to them, how much it changed them and electrified them. And that meant so much. And then the fact that we had absolutely zero incidences the entire day, it was a completely peaceful gathering. Um, and and that was our goal. Um, and so it was- to me. Do do I think that there's room for improvement? Always. But do I
0: consider last
1: year a, su- a success? Yes.
0: I do, too. Um, if people want to get involved, they want to donate, they want to learn more about what's going on, where can they find information?
1: If they go to womensmarchphl.com.
0: Fantastic. I will look forward to seeing you or at least the outpouring of your effort on Saturday. And thank you so much for joining us, Emily. Thank you so much. This is Women at Work on Business Radio, Sirius XM 111. And I'm your host, Laura Zarrow. That was the extraordinary Emily Morse, co-lead organizer of this year's Philadelphia Women's March and founding board member of Philly Women Rally. Now I want to bring on another one of the organizers of this weekend's March, Deja Lynn Alvarez. Deja is an advocate, peer counselor, and representative of the Philadelphia trans community. She's currently a system navigator for the City of Philadelphia's Department of Health and a commissioner on the Mayor's Commission of LGBT Affairs. She is a consultant to the City of Philadelphia on trans issues, including the Office of LGBT Affairs and the Philadelphia Police Department. She's a member of the Philadelphia Police Advisory Board and a member of the Pennsylvania HIV planning committee and a board member of the William Way LGBTQ Community Center. So another very busy lady. Deja, welcome to Women at Work. Thank you so much. So Deja, one of the things that Emily and I were talking about is how with the organizing team, you found a shared purpose and making a place to hear everybody's voices. And it seems to me like that's a metaphor for the march as a whole. Um, As we try and understand the purpose of the march, and who's doing the marching. Can you help me understand how you see what's our common ground and how do we hold on to our common ground while honoring our individual voices in this process?
2: That's a good question. Our common ground, I think, especially for the eight organizers of this, but I think for all women, um, is that we are all looking for our places. We're all looking for our voices to be heard. We're all looking for equality. Um, We're all looking to just be seen as equals amongst each other.
0: Clearly. And what do you feel are, and given that common ground, that thing that we really all are looking for that, um, we know that there within the movement as a whole, there are so many different dimensions of womanhood in this country and around the world, different um, experiences that we have, our intersectionality. Um, What advice do you have for us as we go through the march and as we're working with each other to build them to um, understand and respect the ways that we're different and not just that common ground?
2: So... (laughs) That has definitely been tested amongst us as the organizers uh, (laughs) over the last several weeks. And the thing that continues to keep us together, and I hope that the women's movement as a whole uh, can learn this, um, if they haven't already, is concentrate on our common common ground. Mm -hmm. Don't concentrate on what makes us different. Right. Concentrate on, on what we share. And those experiences, and I think that will always help us kind of come back together. Like, one of the reasons I'm so proud to be a part of this, you know, I'm a trans woman, and oftentimes in the women's movement and the feminist movement, we are shunned or told we don't belong or, uh, you know, whatever the case may be. But that's going out through history for any movement. There's always certain factions of the movement, so to speak, that are shunned or other people don't feel like they belong. And, and one of the things that we're doing here in Philly is we're making sure that everybody belongs. And mm-hmm. that is especially the most marginalized, you know, women of color, uh, the immigrant communities, the mm-hmm. LGBTQ communities, uh, disabled people, um, you know, any, making sure that all the, the different communities um, are represented with this march.
0: Yeah, it comes back to, you know, women's rights are human rights and human human rights are women's rights, that all of these oppressed, underrepresented groups, it comes back to these same core questions of equal representation, having an equal voice and being protected. Um, For you, what made you get involved in the march? How did you wind up on an organizing committee? Uh,
2: Well, I was one of the speakers last year. When they reached out to me and they asked me would I be willing to speak, I was honestly flabbergasted. (laughs) I knew, you know what I mean, with this movement being so important and, of course, being important to me and my community as well, as we are women, um, to have them extend a hand and say, hey, you're welcome in this space, too.
0: Mm Mm-hmm.
2: Was absolutely amaz- was absolutely amazing, and throughout the year, I've I've been able to do some events with some of these ladies, and and we've been to different things together. And so when they said, "Hey, listen, like your voice was so valuable last year, we know you're super busy, and we're asking a lot for you to put one more thing on your plate," and I just before they could even finish, I was like, "Yes,
0: <laughs> right, of course, I'm in." Be-
2: they were making sure that not only we were represented on the stage or at the march, but that we were represented as far as the planning of it and making sure that, um, you know, they had the voices on the planning committee that needed to also be heard through this movement.
0: And I think that's one of the really spectacular things that happened. Because like you said, you know, the important thing is not to get lost in our differences and to remember that we're all, you know, we, we share these concerns. The other side of that coin, though, is that in planning, in building a team, in reaching out, in designing a program, to remember that there are multiple points of view that can enrich the whole dialogue. And it sounds like from the moment of building a team all the way to who was on the program, you were all super conscious about making that happen. Yes. Yeah. So this year, knowing that you're helping to organize the march, you're now on the inside. You're not just on the outside on the stage for the rest of us to be inspired by. How do you see the march fueling your activism and your work that happens throughout the year? Um, I think that's a
2: two-way street, honestly, I kind of think the work and the activism that I do fuels it, but being a part of this and seeing that, for me, it feels as though um, the work that I've been doing, the work that many of us in the trans community have been doing for our own movement, to have trans women accepted and respected and, you know, be equal, et cetera, this was a way I think of um, acknowledging that and saying, hey, guess what? The work that you've been doing, it's real. It's working. Because here you are. Like, now I'm one of the organizers of this march. Not just somebody asked to come lend a voice, but somebody who's actually part of the entire process. And through that, you know, that's an extension to my, my entire community.
0: Absolutely. So it means it's not just that Deja has a voice, but it's giving the trans community a voice in the march and in the movement.
2: One hundred percent.
0: So, as you go into the march on Saturday, um, what are the things that you're going to look for as signs of success? Diversity. You... Making
2: sure that those that have been marginalized in, especially in our country, uh, throughout its entire history, are front and center. Well, I... and all of us have, as organizers, have made a very conscious effort to make sure that that happens.
0: It's clear to me. So, Deja, I just want to thank you for all the work that you're doing, for sharing your time with us on Women at Work. I can't wait to see what unfolds on Saturday. Um, So thanks for joining us, and good luck. Thank you. Listeners, don't go away. After the break, I'll be talking with Carol Tracy, the Executive Director of the Women's Law Project. I'm Laura Zaro, and you're listening to Women at Work on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, here on Sirius XM 111.